circle, yes, we rotate. 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high, Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. The show was written, produced, and recorded in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, originally known to... Excuse me, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as the Bay Area. Here at Full Circle, we are overjoyed to welcome my co-host Laura Chegaray back from Puerto Rico. More on that on an upcoming episode. In the meantime, we turn our attention to the month of October. Can you believe it's already here? October is known for many things, pumpkin everything, witches, and here on Native Soil, we get to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. But did you know it's also Filipino American History Month? That's right. On tonight's show, we will give a brief history of the migration of Filipinos to this country. We will time travel back just a few decades to Larry Itleon and the role of Filipinos in the Delano farm worker strike. And we will hear from a young Filipino American artist on her use of art as activism, ancestral healing, and a vehicle for nothing less than collective liberation. All that tonight on Full Circle. We are your hosts. I'm Kat Petru. And I'm Laura Chegaray. Stay with us. Good evening, everyone, and welcome again to Full Circle. Tonight, we're commemorating the first Filipino-Americans. And to help us, I have invited my dear friend, John Mejia. John is a Filipino-American that works as a community organizer with the Filipino community of Sonoma County. He was the president of the Filipino Youth Organization and member of the Filipino Community Board of Directors and sat on several city and county board as a representative of the Filipino community. Welcome to Full Circle, John. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Can you share with us a little bit about the first Filipinos in the U.S. and what spurred their migration? Well, it's interesting. People think that the first Filipinos came about 1920 and 1930, but they actually showed up about 1548. Um, the the um, Spanish had taken over the, the Philippines and they were sailors on Spanish galleons. And so the very first time they came to the U.S. was 1548. They jumped ship in what is now Morro Bay, and that was the very first time Filipinos hit the U.S. in, in wow. California. The second was in uh, 1763. They actually jumped shipped again. They did a lot of, to Spain, did a lot of work in New Orleans area, um, doing trading, and they jumped shipped there. They're, they were they're known as the Manila Men. They jumped ship, they hid in the swamp, and because they didn't like the... the the way they were treated on the boats with the, with the Spaniards, and um, they became well known. They they married into Native Americans, and they also were um, very helpful in the shrimp trade there. 
oh yeah, the famous shrimp trade of New Orleans. So, um, what spurred the migration? Immigration, like always, it's about prosperity. It's about getting more for your family. It's about getting more for you. Um, so, so the Filipinos, the majority of them came from from um, um, farmland, barrios. And so they wanted to get better for their family. They wanted to be able to to bring more to their family. And so um, they came. And the other thing about Filipinos is they'd heard that America was a land of milk and honey and that the streets were paved with gold. Well, we know it's not true. Nope. Um, and the other thing was they were recruited um, since they were a U.S. colony after the the Spanish-American War. They were basically recruited to come work in, in farm working, in, in agricultural in California and in, in the U.S. to replace the Chinese and Japanese who, because of immigration laws, weren't there anymore. So they were actively recruited and as, as uh, nationals, they could come without a visa. Okay. And how about those promises? Would they get any of that milk and honey? Well... We know there's no milk and honey. Well, there is, but not on the streets. There's no gold in the streets. So uh, the majority of them were teens. They came, my father came when he was 16 years old. They were teens and they, again, they thought they could build wealth here, send it back home and go back wealthy to live in in the Philippines again. And unfortunately, that's not not the truth. And what what they found was even those with a college education were not given opportunities here. The majority of them were farm workers, domestic help, or they were restaurant help. So what they thought was here, they didn't find. But they also found was discrimination and um, not very welcoming people. Because of the Chinese and the Japanese here earlier, there was a lot of anti-Asian sentiment. And that sentiment was pushed onto the Filipinos. And so they, they, they basically were... were Pushed away. There were riots in Watsonville in 1935 that lasted for five days. And unfortunately, one of the farm workers was shot. He was killed. And that stopped it. But there were other things. For example, laws. There was a law passed in 1934, which basically changed it. They, since they didn't like Filipinos being here, they changed the law. It's pretty much next, close to what's happening with DACA. They were said that they could, they could work here and, and be safe. But they changed the law on the people in DACA. It's very similar to what happened with the Philippine, Filipinos in 1934. They passed a law that said, since you want to be an independent nation in 10 years, you suddenly are now aliens and not nationals. And so they, they were being, they were able to be, you know, you know, deported. So that's the first thing. The second was since they didn't like them, they also um, passed the reparation law in 1934, which basically said, we want you out of here. So they said, we will pay your way back to the Philippines as long as you never come back again. Wow. So there are other laws as well. So in, in California, Oregon, and um, uh, Washington, there was anti-miscegenation laws. So they were born, they were here because there, the immigration laws were so tight there was very few or if any Filipino women that could come here so they were mostly men working in in the agricultural areas and so they were by themselves so they were dating 
Caucasians, they were dating Mexicans and, and Native Americans. So they were trying to marry them, but the anti-miscegenation laws said you cannot marry a white person. It's against the law. Wow. So, for example, um, a good buddy of mine, his father, who was in the Army, fought in World War II, was an American citizen, could not marry his wife, his future wife, the woman he loved. So they... So he went to the courthouse. They said, I'm an American citizen. I can do this. No, there's a law against it. So they asked, what can I do? And he followed their rule. He said, they changed the application to say she was Native American. And so they were able to marry, which is unfortunate. Because they wouldn't let you marry a white person. Yeah. So they, were, so they didn't find, you know, it wasn't very welcoming at the time. So I imagine there was a lot of Filipinos that didn't that couldn't find anybody to marry. What happened to them? Well, what you find is that because there weren't a lot of women around and there was a lot of men who were single. They, and in order to to and they're used to a family orientation from the Philippines. So what they try to do is keep the the buy-in spirit or the community spirit. And so what they did was they they enacted a bunch of fraternal organizations, the the Dimas Along, the Trabajos, uh, Leonardo's de Trabajo, um, Serrani or associations where they would help each other when someone got sick instead of trying to go to different camps and different people to get money, they had collected the money as a group and so they would help them when they were sick, when they died, that sort of thing. So... Again, you know, it it was it was a, a way for them to stay together. John, tell me, growing up Filipino, what were you most appreciative of? Uh, the legacy. The legacy is wonderful. Um, again, even though they were single, the families that were the people were were able to marry. They would have people over all the time. It was like a they wanted to do a picnic whenever they could. If you ever gone to a home of a Filipino. They probably want to feed you and make you feel comfortable, and that but that buy-in spirit is still there. So that's what we got. That's what we know, and so um, you know that's what they gave to us. And they also gave us hard work and how to how to survive under um, difficult times. And so now the legacy is: you have doctors, you have lawyers, you have IT people, you have. Um, writers, what they left was was a real legacy. The other legacy they left, which is really interesting, is um, in 1965, they, um, after immigration laws had changed and they could now come in and natural, uh, naturalize, become citizens, <clears throat> they had um, Larry Leong, which I think you're going to talk about today. Yes. He was a farm worker and in Delano, and they the growers were... Okay, bad housing, you know, bad, bad care, bad, bad situations. So they actually had their first strike against the grape growers. And in, with that, um, they invited a fledgling group led by Cesar Chavez to join them. And that became the United Farm Workers. So, again, that's another legacy they left.
We're going to talk about that, and I want to encourage listeners to visit the webpage of the Filipino-American National Historic Society. To learn more about this part of our history, Delia Rapoya and Karen Penrich put together a documentary film about the Manongs, the elders, and all this information will be posted on our full circle page, kpfaapprentice.org. Thank you so much, John and Laura and um, John, especially for that perfect segue into our next segment. So up next, we have a feature story about beloved Filipino-American movement leader, Larry Itliong, who John just spoke of. This piece was produced by our very own Free Will and Franklin and Sara Blanco. Uh, back in September of 2015, they had the opportunity to go to Delano, California, to learn more about the United Farm Workers Movement and the Great Grape Boycott. Sara, who is Chicana, thought it would be an incredible chance to connect with her roots. Little did she know there was another story waiting to be told. On September 26th, 2015, myself, Frank Sterling, Full Circle and La Onda Crew, representing Pacifica Radio, headed south to Deleno, California, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the 1965 Grape Strikes and Boycott. It was held on the United Farm Workers, the UFW's, historic 40-acre site. I went because many people in my family have worked in the grape fields of Deleno, So I attended as a Chicana, connecting with my cultural history, reconnecting with my roots. And I went to celebrate the heroes who risked their livelihoods in the fight for basic rights in the fields, like access to drinking water, access to bathrooms, and the fight for increased wages. I went also as a reporter to tell their stories, but instead I have discovered something more. There is a story of the highest caliber that has to be told. It is that of the Filipino workers and Larry Itliong. I have known this story, but only to a certain extent. Earlier in the week, in preparation for the journey from Berkeley to Deleno, I contacted the UFW and was able to record the stories of two women, both original strikers. Both women attributed the start of the grape strikes to the Filipino workers. Esther Urandai, in particular, was part of the 1965 strike, and she would later run the UFW membership department and was also in charge of accounting for the Robert F. Kennedy Medical Plan. When I began my interview with her, she started with a history about how her own family joined the strike. We were working out in the fields at the time at DM Steel and Sons. And during working hours, we heard conversation from other workers that the Filipino workers, the organization AWOC, had worked out on strike. So we decided to walk out and strike and support. Everyone whose stories I recorded Basically, everywhere I turned, including found in the music by Teatro Campesino, there is a recurring background story. But it seems that the history of the heroism and activism of the Filipino workers and Larry Itliong should really be more at the forefront, because they were the reason that the grape strikes started to begin with. 
The day of the 50th anniversary festivities, Filipino strikers were honored. Original striker John Armington takes the stage to talk about his father, Bob Armington. John delivers a speech to us from his experience because as a child, he was present during the farm laborer meetings. Here we listen as he talks about the vote that took place on September 7th, the day the vote to go on strike took place. It's also the day before the strikes of September 8th began. Here's an excerpt of John Armington's speech. The meeting was to start at 3 o'clock. By noon, the Filipino hall was filled out the doors with workers and the foreman. And that meeting went for hours, crying, worrying, wondering, hoping to change something. And finally, after many, many, many hours, Larry asked if there could be a uh, vote. And that day they said, who agrees? The whole room raised its hand. The Manungs raised their hands. And the next day at three o'clock in the morning, we met at the hall and the strike began. The strike would not have started if it weren't for Larry Gitlion. AWOC came as an organization because there had been so many strikes Filipinos had been involved in in Seattle, Anchorage, Stockton, over many times, many years. So they struggled many, many times and so often lost. And they wondered, would this win? Within a week to 10 days, the discussions were had. Caesar agreed earlier than he wanted. But the strike continued with a joint cooperation between the AWOC Filipinos and the farm workers under Cesar Chavez. In his speech, John Armington not only tells us that his father Bob Armington made the formal motion to strike during the historic strike vote meeting on September 7th, but he also credits Larry Itliong. So, so far in the week, I had been hearing about Larry Itliong, but I wanted to hear his voice myself. Here is an excerpt from a video titled, The Filipino Americans. Larry stands in front of a video camera in 1974, and this is nine years after the first grape strikes and boycott had provided workers with contracts, cold running water, and access to bathrooms. Basic civil rights. He reflects back on the early days of the Filipino farm laborer experience, which really relates to the farm laborer experience of all ethnicities and cultures across this nation. Uh, we were brought here primarily to be exploited uh, on cheap labor to where the employers could make a lot of money. Now, for the many years that we have been here, uh, Filipinos have tried to organize themselves uh, to the extent to try to bring about a better working condition and also to increase their wages, which are the lowest in the country. Uh, and this struggle... It was not easy for the Filipinos to develop their organization because the forces of the employers are against them. The city, the state, uh, legislators are all against uh, these people because of the fact that we are minorities uh, which has different color.
I sense a fearless wisdom and toughness in the matter-of-fact way that Larry Itliong was speaking in 1974. It's crucial to note that prior to the grape strikes of 1965, Larry had already been a labor organizer for decades with various organizations. Larry's actions and words make him a man ahead of his time. In the Lenau 2015, the day of the 50th anniversary celebration, amidst the crowd, which included Bobby Kennedy Jr., Dolores Huerta, and Chris Christofferson, I saw a man who appeared very easygoing, but somehow commanded attention. The front of his t-shirt portrayed the likeness and name Larry Itliong. It was Larry's son, Johnny. Many people were interviewing him, and I had the chance to interview him as well, since he wanted to reveal key facts. He and I spoke off to the side, beneath a tree, as the ceremonies continued on stage. Well, let me be clear why I'm here. I'm here to help correct the narrative that has been put out for many years about the UFW. My father asked Chavez to join the strike. There's a few things that need to be cleared up about the whole history of the union. People do not realize that the NFWA was an association that was not a union. And that AWOC, Agricultural Workers Organization Committee, which my father was the strike director for West Coast, and one month prior started a strike in Coachella. So the strike actually started in Coachella one month before September 7th when they took the vote and the 8th when they walked out of the fields. And this is the history that's not being told by the UFW. So now, through at least two different people, I have been informed that not only was Larry Itliong a key player, but he really was the catalyst for the historic strike and that there should be more UFW founders in addition to Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. In fact, Johnny Itliong mentioned others as well. Let me name off the names. Ben Gaines, Philip Veracruz, Pete Velasco, Andy Umatan, and even Al Rojas. And the, other, and the other one was Gilbert Padilla. And they should be given the credit that is due them. There is something to be said about how some people identify with their own cultural heroes the most. But if there's more to be told, more heroes to share in the action, should we not all embrace them? In order to maintain the momentum of the 1965 activism, we have to honor the Filipino workers and Larry Leonc whenever the grape strike is remembered. We can all keep our heroes, but never forget those who shared in their heroism. As a Chicana, one of my heroes is Dolores Huerta. Here is her closing statement from the podium at the 50th anniversary celebration. One more thing, we got to make sure we get involved in voting. This is the legacy of the union. We got people registered to vote, and we make them get out to vote so that we can get good people to represent them, okay? Que viva la Unión de Campesinos! And then this is Larry Leong speaking in 1974. Eventually we figured that uh, in order for us really to develop the kind of vehicle that uh, we need to use to help ourselves, we have to get involved in the political structure of this country so that we can then have an input as to the kind of legislation that needs to be passed where protection such as our right to organize is going to be invited. And also, we as uh, Filipinos in this country must have that kind of position.
Clearly, Larry Leong is at the core of the legacy and heroes of the UFW. And this is the story that needs to be told, along with that of Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez, regardless of her culture. Larry Leong is a hero to all farm laborers and activists. Before Larry Leong's son, Johnny, and I parted ways in Deleno, he wanted to share additional reasoning for why he was there. I'm here, I'm here for my father, I'm here for my family, and I'm here, here for all of us. Because to me, this is such a great story that has been tainted by a, a story and not historical fact. And how more powerful could it be to have the true history come out and share, share in the limelight, you know, that my father should have gotten, but he didn't care about. There is a lot of effort to not only remember Larry Leong, but to have him remembered and portrayed accurately by the UFW and really by all of us whenever we remember and speak about the 1965 Great Grape Strikes and Boycott. So on this recent journey to Deleno, I discovered I had to write about a rarely told story from a Chicana's perspective. Often, our cultural roots provide us our heroes, but so too, our heroes can unite us with other cultures. And then collectively, these heroes can share the limelight and should all be honored for forging ahead. For Pacifica Radio and Apex Express, I'm Sarah Blanco. This piece was a collaboration with Free Will and Franklin. Special thanks to Johnny Itliong, John Armington, and Esther Urandai. And thanks to Apex Express for their cross-cultural collaboration. Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 FM KPFA. You just heard the voice of Sara Blanco speaking with Johnny Itleon, Filipino-American farm worker and organizer Larry Itleon's song about the often untold story of Filipino-Americans in the United Farm Workers Movement. We're going to take a music break, and when we return, we will meet a young Filipino-American artist and discover a world of ferocity and wonder. Please stay with us. Been a minute since I last felt you under my feet. Last felt the main rays of your sun on my cheek. When we first met, I really had to struggle to speak. Now I hunger for you like I ain't had nothing to eat. It's something that's deep within me. The legends and the history, the trivia, the mystery of the story of ours, the story of wars. We travel on a road full of scars. Late night, all alone with you, I noticed the stars. Far away from the city in a secret location, the spirit in the air. That bird. 
murder the whole nation, but we did you from the start. Your heart was forsaken. I'm here to rectify that. We done waiting. In fact, I'm compensating for them days that we lost. Hoping for the very moment that I make it across. Back in your arms, the only place I feel I belong. With a million folks behind me, all singing along. So fly. You and I should be just you and I, but I know I'm just being greedy. You are listening to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM, and that was home cooked by local Filipino American hip hop artist Bamboo. We'll have a link to his work on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. On tonight's show, we're preparing for October's Filipino American History Month by bringing you stories of Filipino migration, struggle, and resilience. Yes, indeed. And I am quite honored to share the voice of our next guest, Nicole Gervasio. Nicole is an interdisciplinary artist based in Oakland, California, originally Huchin Territory. She graduated from California College of the Arts and has collaborated with community organizations including Her Resilience, People of Coloring, Urban and Indigenous, and she co-founded the collaborative artivist group We Rise. Nicole is open to all methods and mediums available to express a concept from visual work to movement, video to written word. Greatly inspired by genealogy, the body, memory, destruction and deterioration, and performance versus imper- permanence versus impermanence, her work is driven by the fear of forgetting. Nicole joined me in studio last week to share her poetry and discuss the meaning and impact of her work. Here is Nicole Gervasio. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Would you like to start off reading one of your poems? Yes, I'm very excited to share this one with you. This one's titled, English is My Second Language. English is my second language because the word aggressive to me is not the same as the word aggressive to you. I'm an aggressive dancer. I am a violent dancer. I am a passionate lover and fighter. And if it seems like I'm overcompensating, it's because I am. Because I look frail, because I'm nice. My skin is soft, unlike the tone of my voice. Naturally loud, practiced to be sharp, trained for agility, with deep, searching roots. Is it too much? Because I'm speaking to make up for the silence of a hundred years. I take up space because I choose to and I will. I make eye contact with you so you know that I am here. I shake hands with a strong grip because I can meet you halfway. I will jet out my elbows and claw the air, take ownership of the space around me because my aggressive moves are an animalistic dance to show that I own more than just my body. I am a presence, a force, an energy that cannot be contained. My passion is bigger than these gestures and louder than I can yell. I lose my voice from singing, not songs for myself, but to bring up ancestors who could not speak up. I dance ugly and low, a barefooted warrior with bare hands, channeling suppressed wrath, ferocity in my DNA, where trauma and memory lies embedded, seeps through my pores as my body sweats tears, reminding my skin of the humid air it craves, a fish out of water. My sweat is the saltiness of the ocean, the tears never shed for our mother islands. English is my second language because my body is first. Because I can't express verbally what my arm can in one motion. They are so happy. 
You must be so happy because we helped you. The word happiness to you is not the same as the word happiness to me. We are not happy. We are resilient. English is my second language because I was born here. Thank you for reading that. It brings so much to mind. I can start with the phrase you ended on because I was born here. So can you tell us a little bit about your ancestry and where you grew up? Yeah, so both of my parents are immigrants. My mother's lineage comes from the Visayan Islands. And my father's lineage comes from the Ilocano roots. So mm -hmm. Ilocano, Visayan, and they both immigrated separately and found their new home in Salinas, California, where a lot of Filipinos are found, all sprinkled up and down the coast. So most of my family is out here. I still have a lot of family back home in the islands. Have you ever visited them? I have. I was really lucky to be able to go back in 2014. It was unfortunately because my grandmother passed away on my father's side. So we went to go for a funeral, but we spent a week in Manila and we got to meet some more family. And then we spent another week in Cebu and met my mother's side of the family. I also would love to know when, when did you start writing poetry? So that's interesting because, you know, I think everyone kind of dabbles in writing. And as a kid, I used to like to write, but I always felt like my writing was cheesy. I didn't really get into poetry in this way until a little while after college. Actually, English is my second language is the first poem I've ever written that I felt like this is something I want to share. And it actually came to me. I woke up at four in the morning and it just all came out. It was just like all of these things I've been thinking about, feeling. And actually, English is my second language. It was a running joke for a while. I have other friends of different backgrounds and we would joke, you know, Oh, English is my second language because I look like I could be from somewhere else, even though English technically is my first language. But I, I always feel like I struggle. I trip on words and I sometimes add letters to the ends of sentences or add letters in the middle of words that don't exist. And I have other friends that feel the same way as well. And so that's why I feel like there's so much knowledge in my body. And I feel like that's my first language. You know, there's so much that we get from our DNA, so much that's unsaid. And I'm still learning how to find ways to express that side of me. Thank you. Let's go to the next poem. So this poem is called Anger. Anger does not mean hate. Two separate words with separate types of sharpness. Anger is an energy seeping from frustration, a repercussion of sadness, or an echo of disconnection. It is the weight of powerlessness. It comes as throbbing pain dehydrated of humanity. Most experienced true anger have seen red flames, felt power in their veins. With focus, anger transforms, spreads wings of resilience. But only after the fuel of anger melts into an even liquid, the purest form of passion. Adjective, intense, driving, or overmastering feeling or conviction. A strong and barely controllable emotion. The weight of injustice and ignorance makes you feel like erupting offensive gestures and sounds. Painful rage charges tension into thick air. Electricity under our skin. Neutral faces stare blankly as if born the day before, closing what openness was there to stay comfortable. Yes, anger dwells only in the bosoms of fools, Albert Einstein. But, quote, postpone today's anger for tomorrow, unquote, Tagalog saying. We hold our passion in a cocoon 
a delicate shell woven of intuitive light that takes silence to build. Resilience only becomes whole when we patiently cradle the liquefied energy, neutralize any trace of acidity, anger, empathy, suffering, allow them to blend, ferment with understanding. When our energy has matured into wine, rich, elegant, and dizzying complexity in a glass, each sip a loaded conversation, a single drop will leave you stained in our presence unforgotten. Your poetry has a way of bringing alive all of our senses. In the first poem, you speak of the ocean, and in this poem, you somehow manage to turn anger into a liquid, into a gas, into wine. It's amazing. And to me, it speaks to the way you almost shapeshift from a writer to a dancer to a visual artist. Of course, listeners, you, you can't see Nikki's work here, although we'll share her website on ours, kpfaapprentice.org. But there is truly this raw energy that she speaks to in that poem, in sort of the raw material that feeds your anger that feeds my anger that feeds so much of our collective rage about the injustices that we've inherited and why we're here fighting for our rights for so many things it's so palpable it's so visceral i really appreciate that about your work if you wanted to speak to any of that that'll be great i love that reflection on my writing because it's interesting that it's something i created but to hear someone else share their reflections i see it in a new way and it's really beautiful to think of all the senses being tapped into as an interdisciplinary artist I see there's so much value in cross-pollinating these different mediums and ways of looking at things. And so I suppose that's why my poetry taps into those senses, because, you know, why limit yourself to one way of expression? So whether it's something visual like dance, like trying to tap into the energy and smells and the emotions, like just trying to bring all the different ways of inspiration and using that to create art and something for someone else to experience. I feel like that's my approach subconsciously, you know, like right. I'm still learning and growing. But yeah, it's interesting to hear your reflections on the senses being tapped into. And I'm, I could see it now a little better. Well, something you just said about inspiring others through your art. I know as an artist myself that I make art. It's for others and it's for me. And I think from listening to your your poetry and seeing your work, there's an element of your own healing that's happening. But I also know that your work, and you speak to this and you'll continue to speak to this in your poetry, is always in solidarity with other movements for liberation, with other freedom movements. And so it makes sense as a strategy then to be inspiring your audience, your listeners, through all these different senses, through all these different mediums, because then you're building these webs, these expansive webs or bridges to garner people together. <laughs> there's, some, there's some beautiful dance moves <laughs> happening. So before maybe you read your next poem, if you could speak about your understanding of the legacy of Filipinos as allies in other solidarity movements, in addition to your understanding of what Filipino, this is a huge question, but mm -hmm. what Filipino liberation could be, you know, this, this show is preemptive of Filipino American history month. So again, huge questions, what it means to be a Filipino American or what Filipino American liberation could be. So that's solidarity and your own sense of liberation. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Big question. 
definitely when it comes to my artwork, I obviously I'm creating art speaking from this this lens as a Filipino American artist trying to rediscover myself and my history. But that's not very different for many other people who feel lost and don't know where they come from. It's very American to not know where you come from because this culture it moves fast. We suffer from cultural amnesia and there can be beauty in that idea of rebirth, but there's so much that we carry in our bodies and our bodies are repercussions of things that have happened to our ancestors and so we may be acting out, you know, these patterns that go back into our parents and their parents and unless we know where we come from, we'll be repeating the same horrible patterns if we don't recognize that. So when I write these poems, I know that it can resonate with a lot of people, especially around anger and around social justice. I just know that I'm still learning. As you can tell, I'm still trying to figure things out. I understand that earlier in this radio show, Larry Ed Leong is shared. And I didn't even know about Larry Ed Leong and the Delano Minongs growing up. I was born and raised in Salinas, California, which is heart and center of agriculture in California. And I did not learn anything about the farm workers movement or Filipinos and their involvement. I didn't realize that that was part of my history as a Filipino American. And what I find so beautiful about Larry Itliong is that they knew that they would not be able to create change for themselves, for their community, if they did not show solidarity with other people who were oppressed by the same people in power. If they didn't have each other's back, the people in power would have divided them and conquered both of them. We wouldn't be here without them reaching across those invisible lines of identity and communities. They came together. And once I learned about the Delano Menongs, I recognized the importance of me in taking a stance with indigenous people here on Turtle Island, Black Lives Matter especially, when I realized that people did not understand the importance of Black Lives Matter, I realized that they would never understand the struggle of being a Filipino American, an invisibilized minority. So it's so important for all of us, if we are fighting for liberation of our communities, our people, we need to stand alongside other people who are oppressed because together, collectively, we can make change. If we are isolated in these little communities, these little groups, it's easier to keep us all down. And so that's what drives me in my artwork and my activism. You are listening to Full Circle on 94.1 FM KPFA. And that is the voice of local artivist, that's artist and activist, Nicole Gervasio. Tonight we're celebrating Filipino American History Month, which begins this Sunday, October 1st. And we are going to take a short music break. And when we come back, we will begin with part two of my conversation with Nicole Gervasio. Charismatic 
speaker here to resurrect the people from the shackles that they wear in. Attitudes they harbor on from generations. Civil war survivors, so they try assimilation. Whiten up their skin tone, talking with an accent. Acacia up their ringtone. Got the misconception they can cover up their history. Land of opportunity, colonized mentality. Gangsters still don't shut up. Enemies get wet up. It's more than claiming perfect. The community is set up. Pointing at each other instead of pointing out the problems. Gunning down our people for That was Rocky Rivera with Gangster of Love here on Full Circle on 94.1 FM KPFA. We will also link to her music on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, as she is a local Filipino-American artist as well. Tonight, we are indeed exploring Filipino-American heritage, activism, and art in honor of October's Filipino-American History Month. We will dive right back into my to my conversation with Nicole Gervasio, sharing her fierce poetry and insight. I know we need to move on to the next poem, but if you can just speak briefly to the power of being a young Filipino-American woman and writing about anger and reclaiming anger. Yeah, so for people who know Filipinos, one could say that we're very passionate people. So we love, love passionately. And when we're angry, we are passionately angry. And part of growing up here in America, I was often taught not to be angry and to be quiet and not take up space. And this is not news to any woman actually so most women are told to not take up space to be polite to be good to not be loud and so growing up being censored in that way it started to poison me so instead of being that good sweet little girl anytime something triggered me to be angry instead of it just being purely for that moment it was all the pent-up energy that has been held back for years and so anger for me is something that i need to reclaim And for a lot of people, we need to reclaim anger. Anger is a healthy thing to feel. It lets us know something is wrong. But we just also must know how to channel that anger in a healthy way. So not necessarily just acting out, but sitting with anger and recognizing what is causing it. What can you do to make it so that you won't be angry or it won't make other people angry? And so that's why anger is an energy, is a way of rephrasing someone's perspective on what anger is. Right, rather than pathologizing or victim blaming we could say Mm -hmm. or gaslighting exactly Um, so thank you for articulating that for our listeners can you please read the next poem yes this one is called philippine islands the h sits just after the p whose roundness disguises the violence in my body the sound of f an earth piercing sword pushes on the back of my lip forces its way to be the first sound you hear implies importance in identifying this body. We were named after a man who believed he was entitled to us, though we existed long before West bound itself to these islands. Thousands of islands, peoples, voices, navigated by stars, roots, swimming through untamed oceans. What makes others think they are more than the blood that pumps in our veins? Sacrificed in confrontations, The blood that nourishes and births new life with ancient wounds. Faith. The sound comes from our saviors who taught us. Signing a cross is holier than thou using the same fingers to carry food into our mouths. When what could be more holy than feeding ourselves? Nourishment made from the hands and hearts of elders who are judged on the way they trip. 
unable to pronounce what does not exist in our mother's tongues. Our blood is mixed with those who brought F to our shores, a spectrum of complexions, sun-kissed earthiness, fear. Our colonizers did not realize we, generations born on stolen first world lands, would remember. Fight. Holding this knowledge in our bodies, we hear the edges of our teeth, feel pressure against our skin, and learn how to use this sharpness against them. What do you want to share about this poem? So this poem was inspired by watching a dear friend who has mixed ancestry, but one of them is Ilocano, just like my father. I was watching my friend eat unapologetically with her hands. It was so familiar, and I almost was sad at the same time because I have not eaten with my hands intentionally as I did when I was younger. And this act alone was just so inspiring because people see us as savages or quote-unquote in history we were seen as savages for eating with our hands you know uncivilized and somebody told me that in other cultures this was a very spiritual thing and I had never thought of it as that but you know I'm reclaiming that for myself right now and other parts of this poem just thinking about colonization the fact that Our lands are called the Philippines. Mm -hmm. We're named after a man who is totally irrelevant to us, or I guess he is relevant because he's changed our history. But the fact that we are named after someone with a sound that doesn't exist in our mother tongues. And so Filipinos, you know, when they're speaking different languages, they're going to trip on words and sounds that they don't usually use. So, for example, V is in Tagalog, we have B. So we pronounce things with soft B sounds and we'll make those mistakes all the time because it's not natural to us and just to think about how colonization changed the way that we carry ourselves to the way that we speak and how it's still ingrained in our culture that's where this poem comes from i appreciate that you tease some of that out one of the lines that jumped out at me was about well really two things one is just again the way that you're writing is so embodied You have a way of hearing a sound and then placing it not only in the mouth, but extending it out and around. Thank you. And so that eating piece definitely captured my attention, but also this commentary about faith. Mm -hmm. And I know that your work is about decolonization in part, which is huge. And the role (sighs) of faith and the so-called saviors for you to name that... Catholicism is not neutral and that even though faith as a general concept can be quite healing and nourishing, that's exactly it. There is faith and spirituality that prefigures Christianity and Catholicism and the imperial powers that named the Philippines the Philippines. What are the other names for these places? And what are the other ways that you and your ancestors pray and understand your bodies and all of this. So again, as someone who isn't of the same ancestry, but was born and raised on Turtle Island, severed from my own lineage, these are questions I ask myself as well. And they're really important questions and they can be very painful. But again, that permission granted that, oh, we don't have to follow this particular set of rules. And it's not that we're just 
you know, rebels without a cause. Again, that anger, that anger is sacred and it's meaningful and it's there for a reason. So just marrying those two poems and the, all of these, all these huge concepts that, again, you just make so tangible with your writing. Thank you so much. Yeah, especially with this poem, it it makes sure to remind people that there were so many things before the colonization. And that's so true for everyone. Same with the United States, quote unquote, the United States. There was so much more that was here before it became the United States. Turtle Island has history. Mm-hmm. And same for all the immigrants that came here. You all have history. Everyone has history. And it's just about remembering. And a lot of it is carried in our bodies. You know, the things that resonate with us most. It's often something very ancient. And if you can hear that intuitive side of yourself, you can remember what those things are. Yes, thank you. Would you like to share your last poem with us? I would very happily do so. This one is the most recent poem I've written. It's called Everything Left Behind. And I made this really long collage when I was in college dedicated to my grandmother and It's based off of memory, and I'll just leave it at that. What survived were our bodies, our hearts, our blood, our bones, our skin who thirsts to hold the sun, our lungs blessed by shared breath as we inhale each other in greeting. They left us strength consumed from our fingertips. Our stomachs become steel nourished by warm love that settles in the food we eat. They gave us two mouths, soft lips with sharp speak. Resistance in our blood rides the rivers on the backs of both hands, in these life-giving walls, in our memory-bearing wombs. Can you tell us more about your grandmother? My grandmother's name was Hopelina, and she was a feisty soul. She's the reason why my mom's lineage is here. She fought very young to ensure that her kids and her future generations would make it to the United States because for them that meant security and safety and success. She held it down in their home while there were guerrilla fighters, you know, out in the grasses and her husband was off working. He was a civil engineer so she was the only person at the home to protect her children and what I hold most about this grandmother is that I carry her with me everywhere. She's the inspiration in a lot of my art, in the way that I live my life. Many kids born of immigrants know that feeling of like sacrifice that their family made to make it. And her sacrifice is not forgotten with me. She's my muse, my inspiration. I'm sure that she's very, very proud. Is there anything else you want to add? I'm just so full of gratitude for all of this. I'm so grateful that I could share my voice and that you invited me to be brave and to speak up because I remember writing these poems and thinking how much it means to me and how deep they go for me. Mm -hmm. And to be able to share them with other people is, I just have infinite gratitude. This is bringing new meaning to truly how important it is for people who are doing the work, who are genuinely committed to collective liberation to be sharing their creativity on the radio or just generally publicly. And the personal is political. So very much. Is there anything else you want to add 
specifically about Filipino American History Month, any events that you're looking forward to, any places folks can go to see radical Filipino American art? I just hope that people will take an interest in other people of their community. So I hope this is an opportunity to awaken an interest in a culture and a community that's been out here for a lot longer than people realize. You know, this invisible minority, we're here and we've we've made changes to this country, to this society. And I hope that people will support us as we continue to try and be recognized for our contributions in our love and our passion and our food and our humor, all of the above. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. And we will post any relevant links to the site again, kpfaapprentice.org, so that those of you listening who are committed to learning more about Filipino American history can check that out. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kat. This is Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM. I'm Kat Petru, and that was my interview with local Filipino American artist Nicole. Artivist Nicole Gervasio. So you can definitely go to that website that I named, kpfaapprentice.org, and we'll have Nicole's website as well as a pretty good-sized list of events celebrating celebrating Filipino-Americans, their struggle, and their brilliance, as well as um, links to those two um, musical artists we shared. I wanted to mention that the Filipino American National Historical Society invites you to their celebration of Filipino culture featuring Filipino food, martial arts, music, dance, and poetry. And it's on October 14 at 1130 to 330 at uh, the Finley Community Center in Santa Rosa. Call 707-570-0560 for more information. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Tune in next week for Full Circle for a deep dive into more inspirational poetry with graduate apprentice Sakia Capehart on the West Oakland to West Africa Poetry Show. Our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical director is Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. We've been your host, Kat Petru and Laura Chegaray. Special thanks to Darlene on the ones and two, and Steve, our tech assistant, and, and Mari. And Sharon and Mari. Yes. Thank you for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Stay tuned. La Onda Bajita is next. <laughs>